This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Arts Cast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. Komikaela Naimen Tokuingua. My name is Mikaela Naimen and I'm your host. Welcome. This show focuses on the arts and creativity in Taranaki and beyond. We aim to cover the diversity of arts from painting, literature, songwriting, theatre, pottery, poetry, sculpture, and how the creative arts contribute to our community as well as our own sense of purpose and well-being. The Sugarloafing Artscast is generously supported by the Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Centre. Stay tuned to find out more. And I'm here today at beautiful OEO Road with the painter and screen printer Marianne Muggeridge, who lives um, here with uh, Roger Morris, also known as Remo. So, Marianne, everyone probably knows who you are, but for those who might have moved to Taranaki more recently and don't know you. You've been a painter and screen printer most of your life, Marianne. How did this start? So it's life drawing, really, where it started. And then life drawing is painting um, and working from life. So it's, it's actually started really quite young. I've just recently been going through all my drawers, trying to just make room for things, sort things out and throw things away, which, are, you know... And it goes right back to when I was about five. Um, I obviously had a sketch block and I was drawing my sister, and uh, who was a baby. So that came a bit later. Just what was around me, um, not a lot. I don't remember being obsessive. I wasn't drawing obsessively. Um, I was always attached to what I see. I think I was a visual learner, so I learned to read by memorizing where the words were on the page so look john look see the boat <laughs> if there were pictures i could read it um and i had no trouble with reading i learned that method just fine you know you've got heaps of brain space when you're little for learning absolutely and i actually met you at a life drawing class in stratford that you were running yeah i don't know i must do something with the life i must be a bit intense with life drawing because People do seem to get scared off or they don't come back or they give up life drawing forever after a session with me. So though that won't be true of everybody. No, you but, hooked uh, me. <laughs> ah, good. Well, yeah, no, I remember meeting you too. Now, that was great and I love teaching life drawing because you really can teach it. But you can't, I can't, couldn't teach painting. Well, no, it's such an idiosyncratic thing. We all do it a different way. It's. But I think life drawing is too because... Uh, some people are far more gestural and others are real, almost photographic realism when it comes to like no, working draw- with graphite. If they're working from life, it'll never be photographic. If they take a photograph and go away and fix up their drawing, it will be. But if you keep away from the camera and you just work with your own computer, which is in your brain, and your eyes and your hands, you literally make a connection from hand through your eyes, to your brain. You literally connect with what's in front of you. And that's all I try and do. And I try and teach people to reliably do that. So they feel they've got a method that they can actually translate from what they see through their hand, through the eyes, through the brain, onto the paper. And 
that's all I try and teach. I don't try and teach what they should use, what medium, that's entirely up to them. I don't try and shading or just seeing really what's in front of you and then putting that on paper and everybody does it differently. Hmm. But you are yeah. really good at that because you also really enforce the need to sometimes stop and measure things right. really well, right. carefully. Yeah. It's a very simple little trick, Yes, <laughs> a simple little tool that I did learn at art school. It's one of the one things I learned at art school and I learned it right at the beginning. We had a wonderful old um, life drawing teacher, which is named as Mac. He was, his name was McLaren. Um, he was quite an old guy, hardly spoke, and he saw that I was trying to draw from life. And so he came around and he spent quite a lot of time taking my pencil off me and just drawing alongside my drawing to show me. And his, and I hated it because I think I was I'm glad you said that. hated being picked out and sort of... Um, corrected? Well, no, I didn't mind being corrected, but I, I thought his drawings were pretty terrible and I thought mine were pretty good. And then one day I saw what he was doing and I saw how good his drawing was and I broke through some little barrier just because he was so good at what he was doing and he was teaching me and he saw that he could teach me and he did and I went ah and he went and he just looked at me as much as say well now you've got it and um, just let me go and from then on I, he just gave me this tool for being accurate and accuracy was what I was after but I don't draw like him, and I've still got his drawings alongside my drawings, which are absolutely terrible, I can see now. Mm. But I thought they were pretty crash hot. And it was good to be knocked back and then, but have the tools to come forward, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and also, he's a very good teacher. Yeah, but yeah. so are you. And, and I think that um, that kind of moment where you realize that is where you, the learning has sunk in and you have made progress in That's your own, right. that, that you're not resisting the fact that uh, your stuff could be different. That's right, or look, that the elbow should be actually yeah. right out there. And what, yeah. Look where you've got your foot, that person's going to fall over. Yeah. That's right, once people see that and see it for themselves, there literally is that aha moment. And then I've found that, you know, say I can talk about Taranaki, the mountain, uh, Monga Taranaki. Just looking at it for a long time, to me it was just a triangle lying against the sky. It took a long time before I realised that it was actually coming towards me as much as it was going out. That sort of uh, a very slow realisation, but transformed the way my 3D looking. It transformed it. And now I really think I do see in 3D quite consciously. Oh, yes. And I don't think people do. You have such uh, amazing paintings and also oil stick uh, paintings of your maunga here and you have had time to study it. But it's also something you do with colour that makes it come towards you. I don't have a problem with colour. I just colour has always been easy. Colour, or more, it's more light, isn't it, and dark. So the oil sticks allow you to put down some quite dark ground quite quickly that's back and then to work forward over top of that with light. Do you always colour. start with the oil sticks? Not really, or no. When I, did that no. happen? Um, no, the oil sticks I bought when I, sometime in the 1980s probably and thought, oh, they look really lovely. And I didn't use them for 20 years. They just sat in the box. And, and one day I must have, because you get, often reach a point where you really know you need to try something different. And what's working for you is just not working anymore. So got out the oil sticks and, you know, they were really liberating. Plus you leave quite a nice amount of thick 
texture and you can work into that with a stick or whatever you like or you can scrape it off or you can it's a brush it's a different stroke and then brush strokes that come into it too so you can work the two in together just gives you an opportunity too when you if you're making getting the things wrong and you know you are you just a, a good heavy oil stick drawing over top will suddenly that will all be right again and then you just got to scrape back and work in. There's a lot of scraping off. More of the oil stick ends up on the ground. Oh really? And the paint too. And on my brushes and everywhere. So it's a satisfying process to have a method of actually getting it right. Yes. In the end. And the oil stick dries eventually and becomes quite hard surface. It takes quite a while. Yeah. Yeah it does. And uh yeah, I don't worry about that too much, but I can see myself going back to paint, oil paint, fairly soon because um, I've come to dislike that kind of thick oil paint, oil stick, scratched brush. You sort of look at something and I think, well, if, I, if someone else had done that, I'd be jealous. So that's what I want to do. So then I just do it. and um, But then you want to change back again. It's sort of a come and go thing. Mm. Your paintings always make me jealous, Marianne. <laughs> On that note, we are going... that's not a good thing. <laughs> we are going to take a break and listen to some Finn Rosell, Human Nature. If all the butterflies spread their wings if all the treetops shed their leaves Well I will tell you one thing honey I will never let you go I will tell you one thing honey I will never let you go It's human nature living as well.
Welcome back to Sugarloaf and Artscast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. We are grateful to our sponsors Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Lenlife Center. And I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. And I'm out on the top of OEO Road, out of Okato in South Taranaki, or Opunaki actually, in South Taranaki. And I'm here today with painter and screen printer, live drawer, mega super amazing artist, Marianne Magaridge, <laughs> talking about her work and uh, yeah, finding out what's next. You um, talk about your paintings and the life drawing being different things and that you can't teach painting but teaching life drawing. But your portraits here are amazing and uh, You've been uh, a winner in the national portrait competitions a few times, haven't you? Mm, Yeah, right at the beginning. When was that? uh, 2000. 2000 was the inaugural painting and drawing and sculpture. It was quite a big event. And this was the New Zealand Portrait Gallery? Yeah, Portrait Gallery was sort of launching itself, being running for a while, but uh, there was a really good crew there who were really seriously into portraiture that was their thing, and uh, we were the raw material, the artists. And uh, I think it was Garth Tapper, who was also my teacher at art school, who I'd like to mention, because Garth, he was a very warm human being who um, encouraged me and other students that were trying to paint. I mean, he was a realist painter, really, trying to fit his work into the abstract expressionist world he lived in and he had to teach I think for a living I think he had six kids Garth wow Mm. and he had to work he had a tiny little office which was his space full of books and he was just a very warm person and I think the first one of the first things he said to me was oh I don't need to teach you technique or something I didn't know what he was talking about so I thought wow I must have a good technique I don't know what he means exactly but I'll keep going with that so was oh, he the one who nudged you I into nudged me into the portrait yeah. gallery and he nudged me into the um, portraiture. Mm. He actually com- got a commission organised for me at my, in my final year at art school. Uh, he actually, what he did was he paid a model, he got her to pretend she was commissioning me and she was quite an old lady, she was a wonderful model and I thought I had this commission to do this, paint this woman. And... Uh, he was paying her, and then he paid me a small fee, like I think it was $30 or something, to do this portrait, because he said, I think you could do portraiture. 
Oh, sorry, is that you up? He set it up. Yeah, he set me <laughs> oh, up. Oh, lovely. Oh, how fantastic, I know. But then she told me, because the old lady was really quite old, she, let, she said, isn't this wonderful of Garth to do this? And I said, what, what do you mean? She said, well, Garth's paying me, you know. <laughs> so I stormed off to see Garth and said, what do you, you know, blah, blah. And he, um, he just said, well, I think you're good and you could do portraits. I'm just trying to encourage you. And, you, you know, you've been doing them flat out at art school. I think I'd drawn everybody who would sit for me. And it was pencil at the time. I was just using pencil. I hadn't really got into oil paint. Um, it was very slow. I got it pretty slow, honestly. You need a lifetime mm. to be a painter. You do need the whole lifetime. You need to start young, and you need to keep at it all the time. You don't... And I've been lucky there. You know, it was mm. Roger. It's my partner. He totally understands that process. It's yep. completely the same. When he's working, he needs to be left alone. And when I'm working, he just makes the space. He looked after the kids, walked them to school, picked them up. We definitely 50 50 bringing up our two daughters. Yeah, you are an amazing couple in that way. And often. Um, well, it's understanding yeah. that basic need. And you know, the person's but not, not going to stick around, stick around if they're not allowed. No, and you're an not artist. greedy either. It seems like you have managed to find some way of give and take, which needs to be there. It's a great which word, is really greedy, hard. isn't it? I do feel I'm sometimes quite greedy, but greedy is the wrong word for it. It's just an equal obsession, Obsessive, really. Yes. I was like I had an older brother, Alan, who was just, you know, just a, a creative person in every fibre of his being. He was, you know, two years older than me, and as soon as I was born, he roped me in to whatever he was doing, and I was very lucky to have an older brother that was totally sympathetic. And he was into jealous. music as into well. Into music, yeah. The whole rest of my family is into music, but yeah. my mum was into literature and books, and she loved books, and she did her fellowship of Trinity School of London when she was raising four children and helping Dad run the farm, feed the chooks and the calves and all that sort of thing. She did her... LTCL and the FTCL, and um, she also wrote a play, which got highly recommended by um, Kenneth Tynan, I think, a really prestigious, really well done. This is in the 70s or 60s New Zealand, and she was so disappointed she didn't win, she burnt it. Oh no! She did, she destroyed it. I think she couldn't go that way, and she knew she couldn't, and she wasn't satisfied with what she'd done. Four kids, you know was flat out busy finding time to make all our clothes and then do a bit of writing just too hard yeah. no, no I, support at all no i found out uh, when it was too late that my grandmother on my father's side had um, also published a novel but my grandfather wow. was a writer and that was in the 50s and she got quite a cool reception and it was kind of like the wife of writer right. such and such so she wasn't the writer in her own mm. right and I think she decided then that it was enough with one writer in the family there wasn't space mm. enough for both when you're easily discouraged um, because the whole of society in some way bends women towards looking after children and you know I mean the first thing I did when Lucy was born was draw her. And I sometimes wonder what the poor little baby <laughs> saw this mother looking at her with this intense drawing expression on her face. You know, Lucy's really struggled to get our attention. You know, I was always, I was determined not to give up on that to such a degree. 
it was probably hard on her. You know? I to be lucky though. Mm. I to be lucky. And I'm sure your daughter have forgiven you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> She's struggling with her own teenage daughter. So that's fantastic to watch. You know. So yeah. do you still have any music of Alan's that oh, we yes. could play? Uh, I definitely do have. I also got my brother Steve's. He's just recorded. Steve's my younger brother. He's far more the poet in the family. Far more a dreamer, drifting off, doesn't have that obsession with accuracy that Alan and I both had. And then there's Cindy, who's on his. I'd love to play a piece of Steve's, but I'd have to give you the CD to take with you. As Steve hasn't put it up anywhere, or but we did get him to record with Robbie Duncan and Wellington, and Robbie's done a beautiful recording. And it would be just difficult to choose which song. And when was this? We can just play recently. A oh. Well, if you could play a couple, that would be fabulous, because one is Weirdo, and that's a very funny song. Uh, very off the wall, and he's got Rosa Scafidi playing with him on the keyboard, and she just loves Stephen's songs, but she's an absolutely fabulous classical musician who New Plymouth is lucky enough to be hearing. She is just stupendous. She just has returned my whole, brought me back to my to love of classical music. I've gone back to concert radio just full on now. can barely listen to National because... The news is just so unnewsy. <laughs> Let's listen to some of um, Steve. Steve's, and this will be weirdo then. Yes, I would love yeah. that. Thank you. Great. I'm a weirdo. I don't get along. Trousers are too short, and my shorts. Too long in the morning. I sing this song about being a widow all day long. So if you're a widow too, you can sing along with a bunch of widows singing a widow song, colorful hair. Science for the time. Science for the time. New normals to be weird. Well, quite often, so you wonderful weirdo world. You're spending a long, round and round we go like big rolling stone. Now sun shines down, pushing us along. Everybody's singing the sunshine song So now we're all weirdos Know what to do How to be weirdly weird The new straight and true And if I really knew What I could say Cordle doodle, idle, waddle doodle, all the live long day. So I asked some normal people what I could do. I stopped critical thinking. Could I be normal like you? Well, they didn't laugh. We all start to cry, all start to cry. <laughs> In the distance I could hear it, could hear it. While slow train. 
back to Sugarloafing Artscast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. We are grateful to our sponsors, Govet Bruce Art Gallery and Lendai Center, and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. And I'm lucky to be out in the studio of uh, life drawer, screen printer, painter, artist Marianne Magarich, who lives on the top of OEO Road in uh, Taranaki, together with her partner, Roger Morris Remo. And uh, we are talking about all kinds of things. You come from such an arty family by the sounds of it. Musicians and painters and crafty people and playwrights and yeah. Well, I would n- never have said, um, I used to think as a kid I had no imagination at all because I couldn't imagine anything different from what I could see and I would try to so I'd start out with a pencil and I'd think I'm going to be completely imaginative but it would always look like a foot or a hand or a I mean, and it occurred to me that your imagination is totally linked into everything you think. You can't imagine something you haven't seen or heard. or So we're constantly drawing everything in from around us. We're not imagining anything that doesn't exist. How could we? So we can't. Although some do. Some, some draw on fantasy and, you know. But it's always rooted in realism. It's mm. so totally. Otherwise, we wouldn't recognize what it was. It's a really interesting thing. So it doesn't come out of the imagination. Uh, it comes more out of the determination to put down what you see. But then you, ha- you do it in your own way. So I mean, you, you can't help that. Where does that come from? I don't know where your own, your own way comes from. Maybe. But you need encouragement on the way, don't you? So who have been the people who have supported you to find your 
way of expression or you know to relate to the world and put yourself out there because you seem to have such a confidence to put your work out there and it's big and bold and beautiful and I just never think it's big and bold and beautiful enough I don't know to me it's each piece has been kind of a step along the way but what I'm you know my I'm 71 now it's a different place I don't see um, the, the level of work you have to put into something I don't know that I have that level anymore you know I would say to anybody out there who's painting or doing anything do it now while you're 30s 40s 50s 60s because you may have the time when you're 70 but you know you can whittle through a whole day just doing two or three little things <laughs> suddenly it's a whole week gone past and you think well I better you know it's a different place and also the little tricks you use to keep yourself at the coalface such you, as well well, there's the want to do it, so wanting to do it is really important, and I sort of challenge that almost on a daily basis by saying, well, I'm not going to do anything today, I'm not going to, oh, well, I think I'll just do a little bit of that, and then I um, take a cup of coffee and a piece of chocolate or something upstairs with me, and put on some music, and then just have to open my windows, really, and the view is right there in front of me, or, or if I've got a sitter coming to work with, or, you know, I arrange things ahead, and make spaces to make sure I do work, but it's a constant seesaw. Mm, but you have been a breadwinner for most of your life, haven't That's you? That's true, and I think that uh, as a teenager and a, and a young woman, being a breadwinner for just to be independent myself, so I didn't have to, you know, wasn't obliged to do anything I didn't want to do. Uh, it's hard to put it into words. But I think that was a common drive for a lot of women my age. We took on the responsibility in the 70s and 80s of being the breadwinner quite happily because it was almost a new place, you know. My dad had been the breadwinner. My mum didn't need to work, but she worked flat out. And she didn't get the chance to possibly do things, you know. She did a little bit of painting, so I got the smell of oil paint into my nostrils when I was about eight, and I really liked it. I just about snort her paint. So I knew that I love that medium. I do love paint. I just love it. I love the smell of it. I don't mind it all over my hands, my face. It gets everywhere, and I don't mind it. It gets on the curtains, the carpet, the floor, mm. everything. And you've made a living out of your That's painting, right. which is amazing. Um, well, that was, yes, but to begin with, it's family. You know, they encourage you. And look what Garth Tapper did. He paid me $30. And yeah. I did that portrait. I finished it. And when it. was that? Uh, that would be 1973. And I was doing them already for my family or my mum's friends or sketches of people. Or I did it at high school. I could draw Elia Kuryakin very quickly for, for the man from Uncle. And people all, girl, teenage girls of my age group loved Elia Kuryakin. So I could draw him quickly. You know, the Russian guy with the blonde hair. <laughs> so that was, uh, I was always able to draw. Mm. So uh, what are the big kind of milestones in your life that have um, pushed you in a different direction or encouraged you to continue on something? See, I feel I was pulled more than pushed, so I was going towards it myself. Um, my mother encouraged me, don't learn to milk, don't learn to type, she said when I was quite <laughs> young. Um, work for yourself and be true to, to thine own self be true. It was a daily mantra. She was totally supportive 
Uh, and my father too, both of them loved art and music and dad went farming briefly when we were children because he couldn't make enough of a living out of being a lawyer. But he came back into law when I was about 11, so then we moved to Openaki where he, he was briefly a lawyer in Openaki, then he moved to New Plymouth. So he got back into law. So no, yeah, he never stopped no. you going to art school? No, it's just a natural progress. No, no, someone said to me when I was about 12, oh, oh this, you, you can go to art school. I had never heard of a place where you could do art and also call it school because art was always the thing you did when you weren't working, when you weren't doing maths and English and all those things which I enjoyed. I loved maths actually, but I, I loved addition and subtraction mm. and division and couldn't do algebra. Maybe that's where your accuracy comes in too, measuring the uh, limbs, yes, the yes. distances. Maybe, I could do it in my head really, but once it became something I couldn't do in my head, then I didn't. I couldn't follow the formulas and mm. I found that quite difficult and made no sense. So all the, those who dropped out of art school and found it formulaic and so on, you actually finished your degree. Well I had Garth Tapper encouraging mm. me. I remember going into Garth one day and floods of tears saying, I'm going to leave, I'm going to drop out, tune in, turn on, drop out, whatever. And he said, for God's sake, don't, just sit your exam, we're going to pass you. <laughs> he handed me a towel to dry my face. And I said, oh, well, I may as well get the degree then, because a small part of my brain was saying, for goodness sake, get your degree. It may turn out to be useful at some stage. So I did do that, and it has been useful in the terms of earning a living or doing a, I've done a tiny bit of teaching, but not much. What excites you most about art and what you have chosen, oils and... To me, it's just a total point of life. <laughs> I think art is so important and science is important. I can understand doing, if it was me and I was a scientist, I would experiment and experiment. I would enjoy that process of doing something over and over and over again, testing, untesting, testing again. It's all about observation. So scientists that I have painted, I mean, the first thing we talk about is observation and that's where they're at. You know, it's, they begin with observation. Um, I think in some ways the fact that art was such a... Art was always the thing that sort of filled me up and put me back on track, um, whereas all the other things kind of were draining and hard work. And I mean, if you could just read all your life, that would be okay, but you do have to do something to... I couldn't see how... I can't write. I'm not a good... I love your poetry. and I love people who can put words in. I love... I've just been reading Colette. Again, and I just recently read D.H. Lawrence again. He's such a descriptive writer. I oh, mean, yes. all of that I missed, of course, when I was reading Lady Chatterley's Lover and Dean, <laughs> getting myself into trouble with my <laughs> friend's parents. But now when I read it, and you can walk with him along a lane and see a sunset, and mm -hmm. it's just fabulous. And Colette, a brilliant observation. Mm -hmm. And it's all about observation. It's just we have different ways of putting it down on paper, you know. Or no, you're right. And I love what you say about the art putting you right back on track. Isn't that uh, it fabulous? Is. It restores me. I've yeah. had the experience Restore. several times. Yeah. Once in uh, France, when I was an au pair girl briefly, it was a terrible mistake. I was so unhappy. And all my bad habits and things I didn't want to do came back, and I was completely at the bottom of the hill again. I think it would be bottom of the mountain, Wonga. And I got out my sketch block, which I'd bought from New Zealand with me, and I sort of thought, well, I'll do a drawing. So I, I drew myself in the mirror, and within 20 minutes, I'd totally restored my 
reason for being, you know, and I just packed my bag and snuck out. <laughs> Interesting. And that mirror and yourself in the mirror mm, has mm. appeared in a few of your paintings too. Oh, that's right. Including yes, the one at Pukeariki. Yes, yes. Now I'm going to have to do another one because I cannot understand what's going on in the world at the moment and I need to stare at myself in a mirror to figure out what I think mm. almost. So I'm trying to put into words. I just cannot. That's a horror of what's going on. But art is a mirror or a window. Right. Or it could be both. Well, so. I do find it difficult working in the mirror. I'd rather have myself sitting in front of myself, but it's the next best, you know. <laughs> and I love the 3Dness of a person, you know. All right, on that note, we are going to take a break and we are going to listen to another one of um, Steve Muggeridge's. This is a beautiful song, and his Steve's son is playing a beautiful guitar. Rosa Scafidi again is playing the keyboard. She's just so lyrical and just drops in little trills and runs. She also sings on Weirdo Rosa. Um, Mickey's singing on this too. Cindy, my sister Cindy's playing the um, squeeze box, the piano accordion, beautifully just connecting things. And uh, who else? It's Steve, Cindy, Rosa and Mickey. Mm. Yeah, the four of them. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's listen to that.
take all of time It's an old illusionist's trick Don't you stand in no doorway Like you block up some hallway Is together we must stand Oh, one for all We must stand tall So you hold me closely Like you know how to do And you know I will Hold on to you Everything I give you everything. Oh, I give you everything. I give you everything. I give you everything. Welcome back to Sugarloafing Artscast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. We are grateful to our sponsors, Covet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Nye Center. And I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. And I'm out at OEO Road today with uh, Marianne Muggeridge, who has her studio and home here together with uh, Roger Morris, Remo. And we are talking about all kinds of things to do with painting and how important art is for life and for restoring ourselves. And um, when we don't find the words to, yeah, express what we are seeing and experiencing, art might be one way of finding a way to connect again. Well, you would know those words. And, yeah, uh, but they also fail at times. And I think that's where poetry yeah. comes in, that you can say things where there are gaps or where mm. you leave it to the imagination of that's right. The one knowing who receives how to do it. that, that's so yeah. difficult. But you do that in your art. Mm, I feel I don't leave enough, maybe, to the imagination sometimes. And people often say to me that they really love something when it's halfway through. But I know I'm going to finish it. And sometimes I think in the finishing of it, I make it almost inaccessible. You know, because mm. I finish it too. So I'm trying to go back, and not to go back and go forward, because you can't go back. But I definitely the last big portrait I did just for myself is much looser it's a combination of a bit wild and a bit tight really so um interesting is that one over there beautiful Mm, thank you and it's had good responses so i realized too that i cannot just keep taking 15 years to do a piece i've got to get them done you know bad enough taking two years Mm. and i've got a double portrait up north that i'm doing which is the commission poor sitters you know they don't know one of them, the woman that I'm painting, it's a struggle. <laughs> this happens every now and again. Somebody, and they sit, it's not her fault. Um, what I'm trying to find or do or put down, I haven't actually seen yet. And oh. uh, so you keep going and going and going to see until you know you've got it. And it's a split second between, I haven't got it, oh, I've got it. You know, it's just so quick. 
And it doesn't work from a photo once you've no, met no, the person? No, absolutely doesn't. And I've tried to work from photographs because sometimes I would just take pity on the person and think, oh, look, I've got a photograph and we'll just stop this nonsense and you can get up and go away. <laughs> and um, all right, they say that would be wonderful, but I just can't. I've tried and tried and tried. And so how long are we talking here? I don't here? know what it is. It's, something, it's the communication between us. Oh, well, um, well, she and I have sat the last set of sessions we had. We were on this I've been twice up to their place in Matakana, so this will be my third time going up this year. And I've had about over a period of two months, Lee has sat for me and sat for me and sat for me. I got her husband really quite quickly. Richard was just there straight away. Totally comfortable, a very good sitter and he was just there and I'd done him. How quickly did uh, you do that when you well, say quick? It would be quick maybe I don't know I had to go back and get his hands and you know, make him sit properly, and, and that all took a bit of time. But that's, with the face is the thing, and once you've got the likeness and, and the head is there, once you've got that, then you can work on all the edges, you know, put the hand. Hands are important. But no, Richard's hands even came quickly. But he was a very good sitter, and he seemed to know what I needed, and he just seemed to be able to give it. He was good, but Lee's not used to being, I think she's used to being glanced at, and then because she's very attractive, and she always has been a beautiful woman. And now she's in the 70s. And I don't know who she was before. I only know what I'm seeing now. And I don't think she sees herself now. You know, you have memories of yourself. You can stand in front of the mirror, rearrange your hair, put the light behind you, smile at yourself, and off you go. Then you catch yourself in the mirror somewhere or a window. You know, God, who's that old person? Fizzy white hair. Is that me? <laughs> I've been striding about as if I've got still got brown hair and but you get the shock of your life. Yeah, but you have also um, said that some of your commissioned painting of landscapes have taken a lot longer I than know, you Well, expected. they are difficult too. Yes, there are trees sometimes which will not come. Well, also the thing with the landscape is it's shifting and changing minute by minute, day by day. So, you know, you could start in spring and end in autumn and you have a tree that's green on one side and orange on wow. the other. It doesn't seem to matter. It seems to work so long as you get the thing that you're after on that day. I don't know what, what that is exactly until I see it and then I know I've got it. And then... Would you mind talking about the commission that uh, you did for the Reserve Bank? Don Brash. Yes, that yeah. actually doesn't hang on the ball? Oh, doesn't it? Oh, I don't know. I think that you said once that... The, he I wasn't quite keen on the tie. No, no, well, the tie was neutral. No, but it, actually, he became act, and it's a yellow tie. So, But when I painted Don, he'd just left the Reserve Bank, and the Reserve Bank wanted to painting, and he'd gone into politics quite unexpectedly, and he was national. And he had no sense of himself, Don. In fact, it was a really nice time to catch him in a way because he was he lost a bit of weight, I think, the workload that came on him and the expectations that were coming. He wasn't the leader of the National Party at that point, and he scoffed at that thought. And uh, he was a very punctual man. He always arrived. If he was a second late, he'd be apologetic, and he'd be running. You know, you could fly across the car park, and I'd see him coming with his suit flapping out the side, and it was too big for him. His jacket got too big for him. The, the necks on his shirt got too big for him. And it was only very soon after I'd finished the painting that someone got hold of him and took him in and changed his image, it gave him a proper haircut. Because Don had a comb over. 
quite so atrocious. So your painting actually captures kind of before becoming so something think, else. The thing with Don is the first session I had with him was the one I should have kept. It was so him. He just looked like an egghead schoolboy, you know, skinny. I, I love that first one. So right from the word go, he was quite engaged in the portrait. But gradually as I went on and on, it just, I don't know, even I wasn't, I, I mean, I, I know it was him, but he was a really nice man. I liked him. I don't like what he's doing now. I don't like this whole, what is it, what does he belong to? Hobson's Choice thing. This is just awful. Anyway, as far as the painting goes, no, I don't think he liked it much. And it changed over time. So oh, yes, it changed. Do you take photos? Yes, of... I do. Oh, I you do, do? I do. I have the photos of the painting as it progressed. Yes, I don't have photos of Don, but I do have. And I could see, the thing is, you get so far, you might only have a two-hour session. If you could have a six-hour session, you might finish the person one whole go, which is what happened with um, Alan McDiarmid, the Nobel Prize winning New Zealander I got to paint. He was a chemist. And I did paint him all in one blast, from one end of the beginning of the day to the end, because that's all he had. He was a bit of a rock star, Alan, in the science world, and everybody wanted him for lunch, breakfast, dinner, everything, talks. And He was only in New Zealand for Easter, and I got him for the first day he came. He was really, really late, and I, he suddenly realised what I, what I was set up to do. And he said, I could come tomorrow, I'll be here at 9 o'clock. So he did, and he sat all day, and he sat really well, and we did the whole face. Wow. And, and that was probably one of the best. And that's kind of got me a lot of work, because a lot of scientists who know him, that portrait was popular, and you know when one's popular, because everybody tells you about it, and you hear about it, and you see it photographed. And, and when was that? Um, that was 2002 I did that one. Wow. So I got a run of portraits for a while. Kind of now we're back in Taranaki, and left Wellington. And I'm not looking for them anymore because it is quite a thing to see, you know, sometimes, usually I say to myself when I'm halfway through a portrait that's not working, why the hell do you do this to yourself? This is impossible. What are you trying to do here? You can't do it. Just stop. <laughs> Don't do it again, but I'm a total sucker and I will do it again because <laughs> I enjoy it. It's somewhere, but there is a stressful period with every portrait where it is totally not enjoyable. It is just awful. It's just yeah. gutting. It's like that was the one of Lee at the moment. In fact, she sat for me for almost three weeks solid in our next session the next year. And at the end, I, she went away and she said, if it looks like that when I get back, I'll be happy. And so she wasn't putting any pressure on me, but I just hated it. And she'd only been gone about a week and I scraped the whole thing off. So I scraped oh. it right back. And then I had to ring Lee up and say, I'm sorry, Lee, but the face is gone. I'm gasping <laughs> she here. She just said, talk oh, to Richard. Hands the phone over, and uh, Richard said, "Oh well, come back. <laughs> we'll probably give you a few days next year." <laughs> so, so I will. I'm going to go back, and I'm determined to get Lee in one go. We're just going to do it, you know. And I'm full of confidence that I can do it. But you know, we'll have a go. We'll have a go. It's only a painting, after all. It's not life and death. I'm not being bombed. You know, my children are alive and happy and healthy and. Life Fabulous. I think I've talked enough now. Yeah, well, life is good. That's <laughs> mm. a good note to end on. And where can people find your work? Well, I've got a website, just mariannemugridge.nz is my website. Um, mariannemugridge, all one word, dot nz. So it was just something I kept getting told I could get. So I thought, I suppose I should get that. So I did. 
And you're in a few galleries as well. I hope I saw well. my computer. Um, uh, not so much now. My work's here and there. Quite a lot of digital prints out there of screen prints that were, and that they seem to be quite popular. I sort of avoided digital printing for a while, but that is really very good. You can't tell the difference between a digital print and a screen print, but except for the signature and the numbering on the bottom, which you should look for because a numbered print, two over twelve, is something much more special than something that's just got Marion Muggeridge on it. I mean, mm. yeah. yeah, that hand kind of inking well, and Well, it takes two years to make yeah. a good print. The yeah. last print I did has taken about three years, slowly. Yeah. Something I do when I'm not doing anything else. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I have to come out and talk screen printing with you. But for now, thank you so much for taking your thank time you. Thank and you showing so me much. around. It's always a pleasure seeing you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And good luck with Good yours. luck with yours. <laughs> that portrait. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sugarloafing Artscast on 104.4 FM. My name is Michaela Nyman and you can contact me with feedback and ideas for shows at Access Radio Taranaki or email me on community at accessradiotaranaki.com. You can check out the artists, guests and their fabulous work on our Sugarloafing Facebook page and Instagram. To listen to previous episodes of the show, go to accessradiotaranaki.com and search us up under current shows. The Sugarloafing Artscast was made possible with the support of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and the Len Lai Center. Until next week. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.